Chapter 1 Purpose Stillness Stillness and silence fill the air of a dying land, a dead land, for all the things that had once lived in the sprawling peace of shriveled earth were gone to dust. Of course, not all the world was an arid wasteland. In fact, not even half. Just this one small portion of a massive spinning sphere was tainted. Tainted by the greatest and most terrible deed ever wrought on mankind. A most violent act committed by a most peaceful man. A kingdom sacrificed so the world could survive and a beacon snuffed out to darken the way forward. Either way, all that was left now was a city-sized crater and cracked red desert as far as the eye could see. Where towering stone buildings once pierced the sky, there was no remnant now. Where busy cobbled streets hosted carts and wains five wide, there was only the stillness. Where the sounds of pedestrians, players, and businessmen alike once echoed through the air, only the silence remained. One could be forgiven for thinking that nothing could survive in this barren landscape. But, as they often do, broken men made their way to this broken land for reasons unknown even to themselves, all making their way here willingly and finding common solemn purpose with each other, all except one, although I guess he could not be called a man at this point. A boy then, a teenage boy, standing in the late afternoon sun on the edge of a circle of a dozen weary tents, doing the unfortunate and tedious work of digging a ship pit. The boy stirred the stillness with the lift, drop, and plant of a bare foot on unsharpened spade. The boy broke the silence with the shk thunk of dirt being moved from hole to mound. The boy... The boy hated digging shit pits. Well, he hated all his chores, but he hated digging the shit pits that little bit more. It wasn't that he didn't like the work. He found the simple act of digging a hole quite soothing. It wasn't that he had to get up early to do it. The quiet calm of the cold desert mornings were some of the best hours of his day. It wasn't even that he found it degrading to be tasked with digging a hole within which the scum of the earth could relieve themselves. He'd done far worse with far more vigor over the past few years. The boy planted the shovel outside the hole and plopped himself down on the lip of the half-dug latrine, breathing heavily. He was drenched in sweat from his dusty brown hair down to his tattered red pants. Pants that were once brown, but were more soil than stitch at this point. He had relieved himself of his shirt hours ago, with it already having been soaked through. Shining touched, he cursed, shifting his eyes to glare at the tent beside him. No... He didn't hate the act of digging the shit pits themselves, but he surely hated digging this one. His hatred stemmed from the tent next to him and the burly, stinking cesspool of a man that slept within. The man who had ruled 
rolled over this tiny fief on the earth's blistering ass for the last ten years. The man who'd given him countless bruises and fractured bones in the last few months. The man who'd taken everything the boy had. And after that, things he didn't even know he could give. The man who owned him. Both of them. He probably had her strewn across the dirt of his tent, battered and broken. Of course he did. She was nothing to him. Neither of them were. The man in that tent did not deserve the authority he was given in this place. He certainly did not deserve his own special place to shit. What he truly deserved was a... There was a sudden shuffling of cloth, and the sound of an empty glass bottle rattled to the earth, rolling away from an unclenched hand. It came from the other side of the bandit camp. The boy looked to his right, trying to locate the tent the, mo the movement had come from. There was more rustling of cloth, interspersed with hungover groans. It was coming from the middle of the three tents on the other side of the fire pit. Cravens. The boy sucked in air, startled by the break in the morning stillness. He was shocked to see that he had been gripping the spade fiercely in both hands and was leaning forward, muscles tensed. The boy blinked, coming back to himself and taking in his surroundings. He'd taken several steps fr from his half-finished pit and was now only a few feet away from Axes's tent. The boy let out a tense breath, relaxing his stance and turning away from the bandit leader's opulent home. He loosened his grip on the shovel, mentally chiding himself for moving in anger, and began to make his way towards Craven's lean-to. He could hear the man's voice chiding him in the back of his mind already. You've got to think through all the possible outcomes of your actions before moving. Well, it might feel good in the moment, and what a sweet moment it would be. Trying to beat the legendary leader of the Darkland Bandits to death with a blunt hand shovel has very few positive outcomes. Gods. Even the version of Craven in his mind could make the boy's shoulders slump a little. He tiptoed his way past the campfire through the minefield of empty Angeri liquor bottles. But he knew that his internal Craven was right. Even in his most forgiving visualizations, the boy's quickness and wiry athleticism could never come close to matching Axe's fighting experience and raw strength. But maybe if he could use... It. The boy stopped, thinking back on that day. Right. Like it even exists. It was a mirage. Guts, boy. Don't think too hard you'll melt your brain in this heat, murmured Craven. The boy shook himself, realizing he had paused in the middle of opening the old warrior's tent flap. Craven sighed, rolling over and pulling a fur blanket across his face to shield himself from the sun. What do you want, boy? The boy took a moment to drink in the sight of the usually stalwart bandit curled up in a ball and struggling to escape the mid-afternoon sunlight. With any other member of the crew for this kind of intrusion, the boy would have taken a thrown bottle to the face or a kick to the gut by now, but not Crave. While everyone else saw the boy as a tool for carrying water or shoveling shit pits and treated him as such, Crave treated him like another member of the crew. You said you'd train me if I woke you up before sunset, the boy asserted. The bandit rolled onto his side, pulling the fur tighter around his head, muffling his response. I did not say that. Now fuck off, you little shit. 
Well, maybe Craven didn't treat him like a member of the crew, more like a warrior in training. The boy nudged the bunched-up mass of furs where he knew Craven's shins would be. You did say it. No response. The boy grimaced and tried again, this time lifting his leg back a little further, delivering a slight kick. No response. The boy let out a frustrated low growl and began pulling his leg back all the way to deliver a full blow. Before he could react, a dusty brown fur appeared in front of the boy's face, whipped from around Craven's shoulders. The boy reacted clumsily, flinging his arms out to bat the blanket away, only to puff a cloud of red dust into his face. He coughed, backing up and pulling lightly on the tent flap to keep his balance. He pulled the back of his right hand up to rub at his eyes, still gripping the shovel, and froze. Crave was still lying down, leaning on his left elbow, but he was now holding a long, curved knife, shaped like an elephant tusk and shining sharp. The knife was intimidating, but the bandit's face... Bloodshot, dark brown eyes staring unblinking behind loose brown hair. That face wore a look with a much keener edge. A look that spoke of a taut bowstring and an arrow primed to kill. Boy, I swear. The boy threw his hands up in a placating gesture, dropped the shovel as he did so. Please, you said to wake you up early today, after you woke up too late yesterday and we couldn't do it. Several seconds passed as Crave drew an intense gaze over the boy with his discerning eyes, as if deciding how much offense he wanted to take at the kick. He let out a long sigh before putting down the knife and pushing patches of his graying brown hair behind his shoulders, mumbling expletives to himself that were certainly directed at the boy. The boy's shoulders slackened and his knees buckled slightly, the heavy tension of the prior moment subsiding. Well, maybe Crave didn't see him as a trainee, more like a stable boy with lofty ambitions. Crave turned to his left and began stretching clumsily with his right hand for the water skin that was just out of reach, no trace of the sharp, controlled movements from moments earlier. After several fumbling, almost comical attempts, he managed to grab the water skin and push himself up to a cross-legged position. He sat there for a while, breathing deeply. He was sweating, and his usually tanned skin had gone pale as if he was about to be sick. The moment seemed to pass, and he said, I still don't remember agreeing to train you today. Well, you did, the boy responded, his face regaining some color. Crave took several large gulps from the skin, eventually pulling it down to suck in air. If I did, the bandit paused, convulsing slightly, then letting out a small burp. If I did, then it was after I drank a half a barrel of brandy, and any promises made after drinking a barrel of any liquor are null and void. The boy began to protest, but Crave put a finger up to stop him, abs contracting in another convulsion. That's just a piece of pain-free advice for the future. The war-weathered man put his hands together and raised them above his head, cracking his back, his shoulders, letting out a hissing breath through his teeth. But, since I'm already up, grunted the bandit as he rose to his feet, pummeling you ought to be a good way to start the evening. The boy caught Craven's eye as he was tying his hair back and thought he saw the slightest hint of amusement behind them. 
then he remembered the harrowing look the man had been wearing just moments earlier, and he wasn't willing to take any chances. He turned, pulling a tent flap aside, saying, I'm going to go grab my knife. Fleeing from the tent, he could faintly hear the bandit respond, Smart, as he readied himself for the day. Yes, the stable boy. He was definitely the stable boy. The boy slowed his pace from a near run down to a walk, gathering himself. But a stable boy with lofty ambitions. It didn't take long for the boy to sift through his sparse belongings and find the leather belt that held his knife. He quickly wrapped the oversized strap around his waist, pulling it through the well-worn brass buckle to lock the pin in a poorly cut hole. The hole was much farther down from the rest, the boy having fashioned it himself after pilfering the belt from a well-fed Angiri mercenary. A mercenary that had been hired to protect the three-cart caravan of traders fully stocked with liquid cargo. Cargo, which now lay mostly consumed and strewn across the desert floor of their camp. The boy checked his belt one more time, making sure it hung snug around his waist, then crawled out of his tiny tent and back into the still-dormant camp. As he stood up and made his way outside the circle of tents towards the posts where the camp's two dozen horses were hitched, the boy considered again the empty and jerry liquor bottles that dotted the campgrounds. He bent down, picking up one of the empty vessels, measuring its not insubstantial weight. He began tossing it from one hand to the other as he made his way through the cluster of tents. It was not unusual to see the field of empty bottles the boy was stepping through. It seemed to him that the crew's whole existence revolved around the dark liquor that made its home inside these vessels. But, with their voracious appetites, it did not remain inside its translucent shelter for long. In fact, there was only ever one bottle of the dark stuff that never got drunk. At least, not that the boy could recall. He looked up, staring out across the endless desert, remembering the significance of that one unopened bottle. He wasn't sure, but he liked to think the old man still had the thing in his tent somewhere. So much had changed that night for the boy. It was the beginning of, of this new path, bringing about new questions and giving him his first significant answers. The seeds of this new path had come when his first w he first witnessed Axes and his men returning from a raid. It had been right after that life-altering beating from the bandit king. The boy had hobbled back into camp after three agonizing days in the desert, filled with a kind of crazed clarity that comes from dehydration and a fiery purpose. He had been heading for his small lean-to when the bandits returned, pulling a cart full of crates, crates filled with almost the exact same cargo that was now strewn, empty across the current bandit camp. Leaning against the hitching post, gazing into the distant heat haze, he began to think back on his first time seeing the practiced way in which Lark and Jury, the tallest and strongest members of the crew, had hitched their horses, gone to the back of the stolen cart, and removed a single crate from its cargo. They'd each grabbed one side of the large wooden container and lugged the heavy box to the center of the circle of tents, laying it gently, almost tenderly, beside the fire. Axes soon arrived with a crowbar, prying off the lid and quietly handing a bottle each of the dark liquid to the crew. This wasn't the celebration, nor the mourning that the boy had expected. Darkness within, 
the crew had barely registered that a horse had returned to the camp without its rider. This was more akin to a cotton farmer handing out wages to pickers after a hard day's labor. There was no cheering, singing, nor clinking of glasses. Each man had taken their bottle and retreated to their tent to drink their day's earnings. It had been the sheer disunity between what the boy had expected of the bloodthirsty bandit crew and the reality of this dispassionate ritual that had stirred him to shamble his broken body over to the only member still remaining around the fire. He was sitting on his stool, shoulders slumped, cradling the bottle in his hands and staring into the fire, eyes like crystal pools reflecting the fire without and an emptiness within. The boy had drawn up next to the man, taking his time to feel the fire's warmth and drink in its ever-changing glow. The fire had seemed to call him, to push him to action. It resonated with the passion of his newfound purpose, prompting him to turn and face the lonely man. Crave turned back, and as the boy met his gaze, he could see the man's vision focus slightly, some clarity returning, and with it, the buried hint of a keen intelligence. The boy had seen a trace of pity cross Crave's face as he took in the battered and bruised visage of the boy. As the two men's eyes locked, the swirling miasma of a million questions began to bubble forth within the boy's mind. Who are you? What is that dark liquor? How did you get here? But the only question that slipped from the boy's lips was... Why are you here? To which Crave, seeming to grasp all the questions within the boy's mind in a single glance, answered, This is the only way men like us can survive. The boy looked at the despondent warrior, confused. What does that mean? So he asked the next question. So, what kind of man are you? The man leaned his head back, as if slightly startled by the directness of the question. He looked down at the still unopened bottle of liquor in his hands, then up to the sky. He stayed like that for a long time, staring deep into the brilliant clarity of the starlit night. After some time, the man took in a deep breath and let it out. He looked back at the boy with new eyes, determined eyes. Something had changed. They didn't say anything else after that. The man simply nodded at the boy, stood up smoothly, and walked back to his tent, leaving the brandy behind. But when he woke, there was a new way about him, a new purpose. The boy could recall that next morning, when the two were breaking their fast around the fire pit, their eyes met, and the man looked at him with a startling intensity and nodded his head. Yes, he hadn't been sure, but something had changed that night. The rustling of tent cloth broke the silence of the boy's brief reverie. He raised his hand up to the top of the pole he was leaning against, using it to leverage himself back to his feet. He turned himself back towards the camp, expecting to see Crave making his way over from the communal latrine pit. Instead, he saw a slender hand pulling aside the entry flap of Axes's exaggerated tent to reveal a head of unkempt black hair, 
followed by the hunched-over, reed-thin, but indisputably feminine figure of her, the life-giver, the green shepherd, the woman who had brought him here to this ungodly place for no discernible reason. But of course, she was nothing to him now. Nothing but a corpse, a lifeless, soulless being, with no purpose or plan, still breathing and functioning by rote memorization alone, rather than any real will to live. The boy thought these things as he took in the visage of the woman who'd gone a long way in raising him. Three years as a caretaker at the orphanage, and a year on their escape thereafter. He had never quite known what they were escaping from, apart from the enigmatic arbiters of truth the woman would sometimes mumble about, but never questioned it either. Fingering his knife's edge, the boy thought back on the devastating reality that had consumed his mind on their long journey east from the capital. Looking at her now, he could not help but be reminded of the slow degeneration that the priestess had undergone as they moved further away from the orphanage. A transformation that saw the life-giver go from a composed, caring, mother-like figure that the boy had always known to a paranoid, guilt-ridden madwoman, and then finally descending into the despondent soullessness of the present. The boy recalled that he had first noticed this after a month on the road, when he had caught her staring at him several times with suspicion and then looking away in shame when he met her eyes. About halfway through their journey, the woman was noticeably muttering to herself and flinching away at his touch by the end of their journey, when they were exhausted and starving under the glittering canopy of the crystal forest. He could distinctly remember following behind the bedraggled priestess as she would curse his name to the gods, then suddenly stop to glance back at him and begin to cry. Of course... In his blind devotion to a former savior and priestess of Panea, the boy had done everything he could to help ease the life-giver's burdens in hopes that he could be forgiven for the wrong she so obviously believed he committed. For it had been obvious to him at the time that he had committed some grievous sin in the life-giver's eyes, something so terrible that it was driving the woman to madness just to be in his presence. And yet... With her clear enmity for the boy, she never failed to grab his hand when she thought the Arbiters were getting close. So, even though he had no idea what they were running from or where they were running to, even though she had scorned him, rebuked him, and cursed his name to the heavens at the end, he had stuck with her all the way, because in his heart he had believed it was her love for him that drove her to reach out and grab his hand to save him every time. Of course, he knew better now. Now, as he watched her leave Axis' odious tent, he knew that there could be no gods in this wretched world. And if there had ever been a drop of love in that heart of hers, it had dried up long ago, leaving nothing but a withered husk in its place. Despite the boy's feelings towards the woman now, he could not help but cling tight to his knife in rage when she tilted her head towards him to reveal a fresh, dark, and swollen bruise around her eye. Suddenly, 
A firm hand clapped itself on the boy's shoulders. God's boy, I've seen tamer looks on a cadence that he slumdug. The boy looked up to see Craven's dark eyes looking back at him. You planning on poking someone with that? Croaked the old bandit, glancing at the boy's hand, which was still affixed to the knife with a white-knuckle grip. Not you, joked the boy as he released the knife, swiftly moving his hand to his well-worn pockets. Mm-hmm. The hardened old soldier let out a slight grunt, which was about as close to a laugh as the man ever got. What was I doing? The boy chatted himself. How could I have lost control like that? She means nothing to me. The boy had spent weeks working on controlling his emotions, trying hard to focus on his training, but he continued to have these fits of anger. Now, with one glimpse of a woman he had firmly decided to have no feelings for, he had lost his composure. Crave gave the boy another clap on the back and began walking away from the camp towards the withered skeleton of a tree where they had been practicing of late. The boy jerked slightly as he came out of his thoughts, quickening his step to move up beside the broken warrior. After a few moments of silence, Craven's voice cut the air. You've got to learn to pick your battles, boy. Know which ones you can win. The boy looked up at the bandit, confused. What was he talking about? Right, Axes. The boy had been glaring towards Axes's tent when Crave had arrived. He was mostly right, too. The boy had been looking at Axes's tent, and his rage had ultimately been for the loathsome bandit leader. In fact, he had only truly gotten angry after seeing the new mark on the woman's face. Axes's constant treatment of people as if they were toys to be played with and broken on a whim had always irked the boy. That was the root of his anger. There was no feeling left for that woman. He had decided to quash those the moment he realized they would never be returned. Continuing to look forward, the boy affected an air of annoyance, responding, I know that. It's not like I was going to fight him. I'm doing what you said, planning for the long term. It's just... The boy trailed off. I want it now. The edges of the older man's mouth turned down in a small frown. They didn't speak for a while after that, letting the sound of their boots crunching on dry earth fill the silence. Well... While you're working on this grand strategy, you might try not glaring at the unkillable man like he's bloody touched every time you see him. Craven looked down at him, his gaze lingering ab above the boy's left eye where a gash was fading. You might take a couple less beatings if you really put your heart into it. The boy's hand instinctively started to move to cover the wound, but he caught himself and forced it down to loop his thumb under his belt. Control. Yeah, well, you've been a lot of help in that area, quick the boy. He could see that his remark had landed, catching a slight flinch from the warrior out of the corner of his eye. The boy knew his comment would have an effect because the two of them had exchanged a version of these words many times. And for as incredible as it was that they could maintain a slight friendship in this place, it had become a growing point of contention between the two. Craven was one of the most skilled fighters in the bandit crew. These skills had led many of the men to treat him with a certain level of wariness. But, ever since the moment that... But, ever since that moment, in front of the fire, when Craven had begun exercising a bit more control over his life in camp, that wariness had slowly begun to turn to respect. What had started as simple acts like sharpening his sword daily 
and asking more detailed questions of the scouts as they reported in, had graduated into Craven suggesting that they have a battle plan for each raid based on enemy numbers and composition. Axes had been frustrated with these additional measures at first, but the wily warrior had been consistently mindful not to be overly assertive in his suggestions, either phrasing them as if Axes had given him the idea, or posing casual questions to lead the legendary bandit in the right direction. Over the past two months, these new measures, along with his innate competency and leadership experience, had led many in the crew to see Craven as an unofficial second-in-command. This, of course, irritated Axes, who led the bandit crew for years through sheer tyranny of will and physical dominance. The boy believed that the bandit leader would have killed Craven outright the minute he'd begun showing initiative, if, they, if there hadn't been a seed of doubt as to whether he could actually win the fight, which is why he could not understand Craven's inability to stand up to their leader, especially when he was about to lay into the boy. He knew Craven's passivity during these beatings weighed on the man. He could tell that there was a kind of kinship between them after that fateful night. However, even with this bond and the obvious shame the boy could see he had drawn with his remark, Crave could only respond with, You have to pick your battles, son. Know which ones you can win. As he stared blankly towards the tree, they were steadily approaching. The boy was baffled by the response, as he usually was when the topic came up. But he let the statement lie, and the two of them slipped into a sullen silence as they made their way towards the skeleton tree, both men unable to initiate true confrontation, unwilling to risk their tenuous bond in this unlikely place. Upon arriving at the tree, the boy quickly unbuckled his belt, removing the knife from its sheath and began practicing the basic knife-fighting forms Craven had taught him. With a similar quickness, but a far more practiced confidence, the old warrior took up a space on the opposite side of the tree and began practicing his sword forms, both men wishing to move on from the awkward words and into the simplicity of training. A similar scene had played itself out almost every other day for the past month. However, before these semi-formal training sessions, after the boy had decided to remake himself, he had had to work to subtly push the ex-soldier to begin teaching him. The boy had used the trick that had gotten him many a free meal on the streets of Caden City. He had started with the pretense of not even knowing how to properly hold the knife, making sure to show his blatant ineptitude right in front of the veteran fighter by attempting simple thrusts on a hitching post while the man was brushing his horse. The boy continuously made more and more ham-handed attempts at stabbing the post, eventually getting the old warrior to react after a comically bad thrust, but it ended with the boy dropping the knife completely. Before he knew it, Craven was disgustedly fixing his grip, his stance, and his posture, muttering indignantly to himself all the way through. From that point on, the boy knew he had him. Now that the wily veteran had helped him, he knew from experience that Craven was invested in his success. It took him a couple more weeks, but after a few more unacceptable mistakes and some bright-eyed, earnest questions, the boy had maneuvered the curmudgeonly warrior to teach him the basics of fighting. Surprisingly, once the two had gotten down to training with purpose, the boy had taken to fighting almost instantly. Even though he was malnourished, wiry, nigh-on skinny, and short for a boy in his teenage years, his body had quickly absorbed the sharp, precise movements 
of the knife forms that Craven taught him, making them second nature after only two weeks. The old warrior was thrown off by how, in only a week, the boy had gained a firm grasp on the importance of footwork and maintaining balance, and how to analyze these things in your opponent to find, create, and exploit openings. With the boy quickly taking in both the physical and mental basics of fighting, proving that he was both intelligent and athletic, Craven had decided to move straight into sparring, to see if the boy could actually apply the skills that he had so quickly absorbed. This stage of his training proved far more difficult for the boy. At first, he assumed that application of the forms would all come to him as easily as the concepts had, and his initial bout with Crave seemed to bear that out. While the boy didn't win the match, he hadn't expected to with such a vast difference in fighting experience, he had been surprised by how well he was able to follow Craven's movements, recognize where his body weight was shifting, and respond to his attacks with proper blocks and counters. As the first sparring session wore on and they fought more rounds, the boy felt as if he was growing ever closer to scoring a hit. He made mistakes, of course, and sometimes picked the wrong block for Craven's attack or overextended himself in a rush to capitalize on a perceived opening, but he never made the same mistake twice. He grew more and more comfortable with the speed of the combat, tuning in to the subtle rhythm of the fight, dodging, attacking, blocking, and counter-striking, at just the right moment in just the right way. He could feel that he had a knack for this, and it was only a matter of time before he would score a hit on the veteran, even going so far as to boast that he would beat the old soldier by the end of the week, to which Crave had responded with his usual grunt, although it might have been more of a snort that time. In the next session, the boy went after Craven with a fury, using all he had learned from the previous session to improve his odds. Each movement had come quicker to him, and each attack more confident. But the second sparring day went by, and the boy still could not nick the old warrior. It was during the third session, four days after their first bout, that the boy began to feel a bit frustrated. He knew he was getting faster, his movements were smoother, and his decision-making was coming more and more quickly. However, it didn't seem to have any effect on Craven. No matter how much the boy picked up the pace or tried to change his tactics, he could get no closer to hitting the man. It wasn't until 45 minutes into the third sparring session that it became clear to him. The close calls and near misses that the boy had been able to achieve since the first day were not evidence of his own inherent skill. They were evidence of Craven's. The boy realized that each time he had attacked or countered the warrior's move, Crave had moved just enough to evade or block the blow while still leaving himself on balance and in the best position possible to respond. While the boy was improving, he realized that the gap in skill and experience was so large between the two of them that even though he was improving at a tremendous rate, Craven was able to match his level precisely and without giving the slightest hint that he was limiting himself. When the boy brought up what he'd discovered after the third session, Crave had said, I'm surprised you realized it so fast. Shows you're making good progress. If it had been about anything else, the boy would have beamed at the compliment from the usually stolid man. But this was about his ability to fight, and by extension, defeat axes. He knew that he needed to at least be within striking distance of Craven's skill level to even think about considering a fight with a man widely known to be unkillable. Which is why, after another week and a half and five training sessions, the boy was beginning to get frustrated. 
no matter how irrational he knew it to be after only two weeks of sparring. As the two fighters got through their warm-ups and began to go after each other in earnest, the boy's mounting irritation was showing itself. The two had been fighting for almost 30 minutes, with small breaks in between, when in the middle of their seventh bout, things began to bubble over. The boy had begun feeling comfortable venturing away from the six basic forms that Craven had taught him these last few days. He was trying to add a bit of unexpectedness to the rhythm they were getting into. His first several attempts had ended very poorly, with a knee to the chest, a few pommels to the stomach, and several bruises to the shoulders, back, and sides caused by the flat of Craven's blade. Even though both their blades were tied in their sheaths, the impact of Craven's short sword still left a mark. These marks had taught the boy quickly that there were certain parameters within which he could improvise and still leave himself room to escape. With these parameters in mind, the two warriors had fallen into a dance of sorts over the last few rounds. The boy saw early on that the only way he would be able to fight against Craven's longer blade was by using his quickness and agility to get inside the man's range, jam him, and make the sword more cumbersome in blocking his nimble knife. More recently, he had seen that in all their quick exchanges, the crafty warrior was able to take charge immediately after that first block, pushing the boy off balance in one direction or another and forcing him to retreat backwards in order to reset the engagement, which led the boy to deduce that his opening move would be the, the only time when he would have some flexibility in his attack vector before the seasoned veteran would take control of the battle. So, in the middle of this seventh round, the boy decided to try something unexpected. They had clashed several times already in this round, and he could tell that his more creative opening moves in the last few rounds had phased the man. It was subtle, but the boy thought he could see a hint of frustration mounting in the veteran's eyes. This was the first indication he had that he was getting close to seeing the man's true ability, although he had no way of knowing. The boy was determined that this next clash would be the one where he'd finally make his mark. The two began to circle each other once again, with about six feet of distance between them. The boy was slowly stalking left to right around the imagined circle, the old warrior matching him step for step, facing sideways in his relaxed one-handed stance, sword pointed at an upward angle towards the boy's chest. The boy decided on his approach, swinging his right foot around casually, as if to continue the circle, then, abruptly planting and pushing off to quickly close the distance. As he moved, he shifted the knife from his right hand to his left, foot landing in quick succession. He slashed the knife up towards the hand holding Craven's outstretched sword, in an attempt to push the blade away and open up his body, but the veteran saw it coming. He took a small step back, giving himself enough space to get his own blade inside the boys, flicking it to the side with his wrist, and throwing the boy's left arm outwards, pushing him slightly off balance in that direction. But instead of leaping backwards and resetting the engagement, as he usually would, the boy exploded off his left foot and used his sideways momentum to throw a right overhand punch toward the older man's face. Craven's eyes widened just a bit at the unanticipated move. Then he leaned back and to the side slightly, barely avoiding the wild punch. Having missed his target, the boy struggled to stay upright, with his momentum carrying his overextended body towards the dirt. Not one to miss an opportunity to teach a harsh lesson, Craven swept his leg under the boy's right ankle to keep him from catching himself, 
and planted the pommel of his sword on the back of the boy's head for good measure on the way down. The boy climbed up to all fours, moving his hand up to rub at the back of his head as he pushed himself back to his feet. He looked over at the wily veteran, who was holding his scabbarded sword below the crossguard, hands on his hips. You didn't have to hit me that hard, griped the boy, as he continued to rub at the swelling lump on the back of his head. You dug your own grave on that one, son, Crave responded with his classic stoic expression, giving nothing away. You have to admit, I almost got you that time. The boy turned his head to the older man, a sly smile splitting his lips. I saw that look on your face. <laughs> Is that what you saw? Scoffed the old warrior as he turned his head to spit on the dry dirt. The boy's shoulders slumped slightly at the older man's comment. What was that tone? Why was he being like this? I know I almost had him. He pulled his head up, stiffening his back. Yeah, that is what I saw. Just admit it. You were surprised by my move and how close I got to hitting you that time. The boy responded, annoyed that Craven couldn't just admit that he'd been caught off guard. Crave's usually stony face contorted slightly in what could have either been disgust or anger at the boy's words. The warrior let out a sharp breath through his nose before responding, You're right. I was surprised. I was surprised that you'd burn weeks of training for one stupid punch. Darkness above, boy. What are we even doing out here? This whole time you haven't used a single one of the forms. And you're prancing around like a little boy whose boots are too big for him. But I've already learned all the forms you've taught me. I could do them in my sleep. You said it yourself, that we should skip straight to sparring because all I need now is experience. Well, I've gotten six sparring sessions of experience and your forms aren't getting me any closer to winning, retorted the boy. Crave took on a slightly exasperated expression. Winning? Winning? Shit, boy. You're learning fast, faster than I've ever seen. I'll give you that much. Else, I'd even say that right now, you're a better technical fighter than half the men on this camp. But you know what, boy? I wouldn't bet two rocks on you to beat any one of them. You know why that is? Why? Because they have more fighting experience than me? Responded the boy, indignant that his abilities had been praised and then dismissed in such quick succession. Well, there's that, chuckled the older man. But also... They're just bigger and stronger than you are. The boy fumed. He knew that already. Crave was bigger and stronger than he was too. And the boy was putting a lot of effort into finding a way around that problem. And what, the forms are going to help me with that? Spat the boy. Yes. Yes, that's exactly what they'll do. Well, I've already learned all those, and they've been a shining shit heap of help in our practice sessions. I'm no closer to beating you now than I was when we started, the boy complained. Crave closed his eyes and looked to the sky, running his free hand through his hair, clearly agitated. When he looked back down at the boy, his gaze was intense, piercing. Why did you ask me to do this, boy? What exactly are we trying to get out of this training? asked the graying warrior. The boy was caught off guard by the question. They had never discussed this before. Neither man had broached a serious personal question since the first one around the campfire. In his lingering frustration, the boy answered through clenched teeth, I want the strength to kill my enemies. Revenge, huh? Crave said, looking down at his feet, disappointed. He raised his head again, meeting the boy's eyes. Nope. 
That's not it. The boy was stunned. Are you kidding me? No. The boy was almost yelling now. You think I don't have enough reason to kill that man? The boy seethed, pointing at the bandit leader's tent. Oh, you have your reasons. Plenty enough for revenge, Craven responded, not raising his voice to meet the boy's anger. I'm sure it even keeps you going on the day-to-day. Seeing the ire of your eyes strutting around his little desert kingdom like a pompous prince. No care in the world. Yeah, I can see that stoking the fires of your hatred. Making you frustrated that you can't even lift a finger to the man who's broken you so many times. No matter how hard you train. The boy was smoldering now. His hands gripping the hilt of his knife with purpose. The bandit noticed he did not show it. He even took a step closer to the boy, leaving them an arm's length apart. He leaned in, dropping his voice near to a whisper, and asked, But tell me, boy, if you're so dead set on revenge, then why don't you just kill the man in his sleep and be done with it? The boy was stunned. He'd visualized that very act several times. In fact, he'd done it earlier by the ship pit. But, if he really wanted Axis's death so badly, why had he never even considered acting on those imagined schemes? The bandit continued. Ooh, the boys will string you up after. That's for sure. But this is your goal, isn't it? This is the reason you're pushing so hard. Why don't you give your life for it? The boy was speechless. Crave's words were hitting far too close to the mark. He quickly broke the man's gaze, his eyes dropping to his feet, embarrassed. But for what? How did we even get here? This is ridiculous. I barely know this man, and now he's lecturing me on my goals? No. He'd sworn that he would pave his own path. And now Craven was trying to tell him what to do and how to be. Damn it. I guess Crave is just like her. Just like the life-giver, the gods, or everyone else I've trusted. Just another false shepherd trying to lead me down a path to a different hell. Well, he was done with that now, the boy told himself, stoking his anger and once again erecting the barriers of a well-worn justification around his mind. I will kill him, he said, almost petulant this time, as he lifted his gaze to meet Craven's. The bandit looked down at him with that intense stare, then shook his head and walked back towards the tree. After a few steps, he turned back around, grabbing the hilt of his sword and pointing its tip towards the boy. His face was more serious than stoic as he spoke. I don't know how else to teach you this lesson, boy. He shook his head to the side, beckoning the boy to take his place opposite the bandit for another round. Just another person I can't trust, he thought, as he bent down to adjust his worn boots. The boy rose, walking determinedly to a point about eight feet from the warrior. I'll show him my purpose. I'll show him what I'll sacrifice to get what I want. As he took his place opposite the veteran, he noticed immediately that something was different about the air around them. It seemed to be heavier somehow. He looked across at Craven and saw the warrior's face was completely blank, and there was a cold intensity to his eyes. He didn't like that look. It reminded him of someone else. I can beat him, he reassured himself. I almost beat him last time, right? 
I'll get him for sure this time. The boy took a deep breath, holding his knife in his right hand. He crouched down in one of the offensive stances that Craven had taught him. The old warrior didn't move. He didn't flinch. He remained perfectly still, cold eyes drinking in everything around him. An icy sweat broke out on the boy's forehead. This was different. He could tell this fight was very different. A sliver of fear washed through the boy's body, just looking into the depth of intensity behind those eyes. This was a drive to kill from the old warrior like he'd felt only once before. The very air was laden with an iron will to destroy that was wafting off his opponent. I can do this. The boy wiped the sweat from his brow and pushed down the fear. He would make his mark this time. He didn't need help from anyone. He would forge ahead of his own will. The boy made his decision. He exploded straight ahead of his right foot, covering half the distance to the bandit in one stride. The warrior did not react, still fortified in his stance, eyes seeing all. Undeterred, the boy planted his left foot, face just inches away from Craven's steady blade, and lunged to the right. As he did so, he flung a fistful of red earth he'd picked up while adjusting his boot directly toward the bandit's eyes. The man closed them at the last second before the dust could get in, but the tactic had worked. Taking advantage of Craven's sudden blindness, the boy pushed off his right foot, stabbing his dagger straight towards the veteran's open gut. But the blow never made it. The boy fell to his knees, seeing stars. He looked up towards the bandit to see that the man was casually shaking out his left hand. The man had backhanded him so hard that it had sent him to his knees in an instant. Before he could even begin to push himself to his feet, the boy felt a calloused hand take root around his neck. Crave lifted the boy up into the air like a rag doll, holding his wiry body above the cracked earth. The boy grabbed at the bandit's muscle-corded forearm, trying desperately to pull himself out of this vice. He couldn't breathe. His legs were flailing, trying to grab some purchase but finding nothing. His mind searched for some way out of this, but could find none. So this is what he meant. The boy could see now, with how quickly and casually the veteran was dealing with him, that there were some advantages that were just too great to overcome. He looked into the man's eyes, expecting to see the hard yet empathetic eyes he had come to know over these past few months. But instead, he saw darkness there. A cold fury that he'd seen from only one other person. Fear lanced through his body. The boy began to panic, scratching and clawing at Craven's wrists, drawing blood in some places, but his grip never loosened. The boy's vision blurred. He was running out of air. How could this happen? He had trusted this man. All the air that was left in the boy's lungs exploded out of him as the hilt of Craven's sword struck him hard in the diaphragm. But before he could think on it any further, the boy felt himself being hurled outward and then crashing to the ground. The boy hit the ground hard on his back, hard enough to knock the breath from his body, if there had been any left. He desperately sucked in air, trying to get his bearings. He needed to move. He looked back towards the stalwart bandit. The man was looking at him with those cold, expressionless eyes. He didn't know what was happening, but this was not the same Craven from moments earlier. The boy grabbed at the red earth, trying to pull himself away, muscles not responding to the lack of oxygen and intense fear. He glanced back again to see the bandit was following. 
the man had begun striding forward, each step crunching to the dirt with murderous intent. The boy looked up at Craven's face, the setting sun darkening his weathered features. But it wasn't Craven's face. No. The face had changed. It was no longer the soft, slender features of his friend. That face was replaced by the square, angular visage of Axes the Unkillable. No, 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 not again. This can't happen again. The boy looked back. The sky began to darken around the well-scarred and muscled bandit leader. As he approached, a slight sadistic smile gracing his lips. Those lips parted, whispering, Well, here we are again, boy. No, no, I have to get away. But there was nowhere to run. Help! I need help! I need to get away from here! His eyes searched, looking everywhere for something, someone to help him, to save him from this hell. His eyes landed on the slender form of the life-giver. Her! Yes, her! She would save him! That's why he was here. She was saving him. She'd saved him countless times, from the slums to the orphanage, and even from enemies he could not know. She'd saved him before. She would save him now. The boy stretched his hand weakly towards the woman, sitting on her stool in Axie's intent, and asked his savior, Help. But no help would come. He looked into her eyes, pleading with his own for her to come and save him, pull him from this blasted place. But there was nothing there. Her eyes were vacant. There was no soul behind them. No one to plead with. She had given up, dragged him to this place, and left him to be ground to dust. He rolled onto his side, frantically pulling himself away from that horrible figure. His legs weren't working. Why weren't they working? He looked up to see Axis's hand slowly reaching down to grab him and break him again. The boy desperately tried to pull himself away, and as he did so, he prayed to the gods. He prayed to Latesh to judge him. Please judge this evil man. He prayed to Maiden to smite him with his fiery wrath. And he prayed to Panea, the life-giver. He prayed for her to save him from this hell. But she would not come. None of them came. As the demon of a man grabbed him by the shirt to begin the beatings again. A firm hand clasped the boy's shoulder, shaking him free of this violent nightmare. He looked up tears streaming from his eyes, breath coming in ragged gasps to see the concerned face of Craven the bandit. The man reached out to grab him by the other shoulder. The boy attempted to flinch back, but the bandit held firm. He was saying something. The boy couldn't make it out. His heart pounding in his ears, he could almost make it out. What are the words? Slow down. Breathe. The boy slowed his breathing. His pulse began dropping, vision clearing. Breathe. The boy was breathing slower now, but tears still rolled down his face. He was sobbing, and he couldn't stop himself. Pain! The boy's cheek flared. What? Again, more pain. Craven had slapped him. Again! Stop crying, boy. This is no place for tears. Craven shook the boy by the shoulders when he let out another sob. No! You were thinking about that day, right? The boy nodded, wiping tears from his eyes. What did you decide to fight so hard to go on living for? I know 
that when I was at the brink of destruction that night, and I looked into those eyes, it wasn't revenge that gripped me. Don't insult me like that, boy. Crave looked him in the eye with those in that intense gaze. Tell me, what is that purpose that lifted me out of despair with just a single look? The boy thought back to the day after he'd been completely broken. He'd lain in the desert, sun blazing down on him, cooking him with its oppressive heat. He could tell he was close to death. He could barely see through his swollen eyes, and even what he could see was beginning to dim. Blood was pooling around him from his many wounds and broken bones. He was losing feeling in his fingers and toes. This was death. It was most certainly death. Where will I go after this? He wondered, as the life spilled from his ragged body. Would the gods take him into their embrace? Would the life-giver save his soul from this earthly prison and shelter him in her soft bosom? The boy croaked out a laugh. His body shuddered with pain as he felt the consequences of his outburst through his shattered chest. Will she save me? He couldn't bring himself to laugh at that. Silent tears began to roll down the boy's face. Why did she go so far from me? Why would she go so far to protect me when she so obviously hates me? Was this all part of her plan? But she was a life giver, so wouldn't this have been somehow a branch along the path of the life giver? Was this the path the gods had set for me? To be born in the darkness of the slums, shown the smallest hint of light at the orphanage, and then cast deeper into the void until finally meeting this violent, bloody end here, in this hellish land. What sin have I committed to deserve this fate? Damn it! He had lain there for hours, being cooked like a slab of meat on the spit. The bandit camp was only a dozen yards away, and yet, lying there, staring into the bright blue sky... The only sound he could hear was that of his own rasping breath and his slowing pulse. He stayed like that for a few more minutes, breathing, trying not to move for fear of the pain, surviving. Why? Why do I continue to struggle? Why go on? It's obvious that someone, the life-giver, the gods, whoever... Someone has given me this torturous path. So why not just accept it? I've accepted everything else up until now. The gospel of the gods, the words of the priests, everything that woman ever told me to do. I accepted it all without a second's thought. So why can't I accept this? Why do I still struggle to breathe when the whole world is pushing so hard against my chest? Why do I feel this uncontrollable need to survive? Then he remembered. He remembered what he'd been trying to forget for years. Or, more aptly, trying to pretend had never happened. He remembered the place where he really grew up. The place that truly shaped him. 
He remembered the terrible filth that spawned him and still lay within him. He remembered that he was an orphan of the slums, built, groomed, and trained by hardship in the alleys of Caden City to do only one thing, survive. He remembered that very well. That single urge dominated his mind ever since he could remember. It ruled his thoughts when hunger threatened to drive him mad. That single overriding principle had pushed him to do things that tore at his soul. Things he could not forget. Things that tainted him. Yes, the need to survive had been with him since the very beginning. But there had been something else, too. Something that had kept him up crying at night in his little hovel by the docks. A feeling that something was missing. A feeling that simply surviving was not enough. That feeling hit hardest when he saw other children walking with their parents on cobbled city streets, smiling, skipping, holding hands. It wasn't their smiles, their joy, or that carefree feeling that all children seem to bring with them everywhere they go. No. The feeling hit hardest when he'd seen the parents was in the looks that all parents give their children on a busy street, moving forward, trusting them to follow, but always glancing back to check on them, hold their hand, guide them, and catch them when they fall. That love, that devotion, the boy yearned for that kind of connection with everything he had. Which is why, when the woman had strode down that carnal alleyway towards his bedraggled hovel, radiating like the sun in her white robes, and told him that she was taking him away from that place, he had accepted it wholeheartedly. Why wouldn't he? She gave him all the things that he had previously had to scratch and claw for, like food, clean water, and good shoes. But more importantly, she gave him the things he had truly wanted, like friends, people who cared about him, and the warmth of a home. All the things he knew he did not deserve. In the three years that he lived at the orphanage, he did everything he was told, accepted everything he was taught, and tried as hard as he could to walk the cleanest, truest, most devout path. Because always, always, in the back of his mind, there was the fear. The fear that they would find out what he truly was. That they would see the shadows around his soul. The fear that they would look past the facade and cast him out for the horrible things he had done while alone in the darkness. The fear, the knowledge, that he did not deserve to live this dream. So he accepted it all and did all that he could to appease the woman who had given him everything, who had saved him. It was also why the boy had tossed it all away at the drop of a hat when his savior had asked. Why he traveled months and months, miles and miles, across three domains, to escape with her. Why he'd stayed by her side through the pain, the uncertainty, and her ever-darkening feelings towards him. He accepted all of it and stayed with her without question, because that fear... The fear that had stayed with him since the slums, the fear that this beautiful dream would end, was always lingering in the back of his mind. Of course now, in this decrepit wasteland, 
as his heartbeat slowed and his breath came shallow through his teeth. Now the boy knew that the fear that kept him staring down this path had stopped him from seeing that the dream he was protecting had become an endless nightmare. The boy couldn't help but croak out a laugh at this revelation. It hurt like all hells with his many broken ribs, but even through the pain, another laugh broke his cracked lips, and another. He rolled onto his side, curling up into the fetal position, unable to stop this cold, inhuman laughter that racked his body. So this is what it means to see your life flash before your eyes? What a joke. The laughter calmed as the boy looked out over the open desert, a fuzzy heat haze obscuring its vastness. So this is it. The boy let out a deep, resigned sigh. His eyes were dimming now. Is this all that you are? His heartbeat was just a murmur. Did I do everything I wanted to do? His head was feeling light. He could hardly feel anything. Did I do anything I wanted to do? Darkness was closing around the edges of the boy's eyes. T Did I ever even want anything? No more blood leaked from the boy's wounds. His heart would not pump. All was darkness. No. A shock went through the boy's body. Something had snapped within him. His heart beat. No, no, fuck this. Was that his heartbeat? Something was thrumming through his body, giving him strength, giving him life. I did want something. I do want something. The boy could feel his lungs working again, sucking in air. Was there less pain than before? I want to live. The boy planted his fist in the dirt, heart pumping hard, strength flooding his limbs. He began to push himself up. I want to live. Not for the gods, not for her, not for anyone else's sake. He pushed himself to his knees. The desert haze seemed to close in around him, rippling as it did. I don't need her permission or the gods or fucking axes the unkillable. The boy got to his feet. The pain wasn't gone. His bones weren't healed, he could tell. But something else was holding him up. I want to fight. I want to fight and earn the right to do more than just survive. I want to live. This world-obscuring heat haze was swirling around the boy now, pulsating with some hidden power that resonated within. The boy screamed to the heavens, unable to hold in the energy that had swirled around him. He wanted the world to know that he was truly here now, and he would not just follow the path that lay before him. He would fight. The boy fell back to his knees. The energy that had been washing over him in waves receding quickly like a fading tide. With the strange energy gone, the pain rushed back to him, exploding all over his body, and darkness engulfed his vision. The last thing he remembered was hitting the ground hard. But even though the fiery warmth in his chest was gone, his newfound purpose and determination persisted. He would not die this day. His shoulders were shaking, his vision clearing again. He was back with Crave. What was going on? Was this? Yes, this is the present. They had been fighting, and he'd been... Crave had been so terrible. Why had he been like that? The boy looked back, up into the man's eyes. He was saying something. What was he saying? 
There was a question. Right. There had been a question. He was asking him a question that was... Tell me, boy! The man's voice called like a whisper, piercing the boy's mind with its intensity. Tell me. Tell me why you're still here. How did you survive? What gives you purpose, boy? Survive? I don't want to survive. The boy's mind cleared. He was fully in the moment now. Crave looked taken aback, but the boy continued. I want to live. And I don't want anybody else's path or permission to do it. The boy blurted out, a sudden anger tainting his voice. Crave looked at the boy, eyebrows raised in astonishment. Now that the boy had finally heard it from his own lips, it wasn't that dramatic a thing to say. It was pretty simple, actually. He was almost embarrassed to say it at all. But the old warrior's face softened as if he understood everything. There were a few seconds of silence as the two just looked at each other, both surprised at the sudden outburst of intimacy and vulnerability that they'd just shared. Craven broke the silence, saying, Now that's real. That's why I'm back. As if he was speaking to himself more than anyone. The veteran stood up with a groan, holding out a hand to the boy. The boy took it reluctantly, still confused about what had just happened and unsure of what Craven's intentions had been. Why? Why did you do that? asked the boy tentatively. The old warrior slowly brushed the hair back from his eyes with one hand, as he often did when taking a moment to think. As he spoke, his eyes got distant. I was in a deep hole during our first uh, conversation. The damn drink we're all here for had me in its grip, with no way out. Not that I was really looking. I was surprised when you walked out of that desert. The veteran glanced at the boy skeptically. Thought you'd be dead for sure after the beaten axe gave you. He looked down, ashamed. I had just been thinking that that might be damn near the worst thing I'd ever seen. Didn't think there was enough of the blasted drink in the world to wipe away the memory of your battered face, crying for help, reaching out for that woman. A shot of guilt went through the man's weathered face at the thought. Anyway, when you came out of the darkness and walked up to me, with that blazing fire in your eyes and your quiet questions, the man sighed, then met the boy's gaze. It had been so long since I'd thought of myself as a man, doing good or bad. Thinking about it again, looking back at what I'd done, instead of trying to run back to the drink into better times. Well, I thought if you could walk out of that desert on your own two feet, then I should probably start standing on my own too. It damn near broke me. But it also made me remember the man that got into soldiering in the first place. And let's just say that I'm trying to be that man again. The warrior looked down, meeting the boy's eyes with that serious gaze. So, when I saw the boy that had brought me out of the darkness with nothing but a question and a look, having these little fits of rage and getting frustrated at every little thing, <laughs> you started to look less like a man with a purpose and more just petty. It pissed me off. No sense in helping a man like that. So I decided I'd remind you why we're out here. 
and way I'm teaching you all this. The boy broke the man's gaze, looking down, embarrassed. He had been acting petty lately. Darkness above. How am I going to be able to take control of my life if I can't even control my emotions? He chatted himself, but the boy was still a bit confused at the lesson the warrior was trying to get at here. He was reluctant to ask the question, as Craven's tone had made it seem like the answer was obvious. But he decided, while they were getting all mushy, that he would respect the vulnerability the man had shown, and reciprocate by pushing through that fear. So, head still turned down, he carefully glanced back up at the man, asking, So, why are you teaching me all this? The forms, the sparring? Why are you doing this for me? A slight smile graced the old bandit's lips, as if he'd known the boy would ask. With much sparring, you shouldn't be thinking about winning the fight. It's not really about that. But in a real fight, if you don't win, you're dead, interrupted the boy, confused. Right, but this isn't a real fight, and you should be taking advantage of that. Think about it. I am one of the most well-trained, experienced fighters here. I have won more fights than you can count. I've probably killed more people in my life than you've met. So you should be testing out every possible combination of the forms you can think of in our fights. Because while I may know all the counters, chances are that anyone else you fight won't. You get what I'm saying, kid? But I need to... The boy tried to respond before Craven cut him off. It's not just about one fight. The sparring is meant to help you win all the fights after that. It's the same with the forms. They're not just for teaching you how to fight. They're for teaching you discipline. Teaching you the satisfaction that comes from doing something right and making yourself better. It's about giving you the confidence that comes from doing something so many times that it comes like breathing. Not just knowing that you can do it right, but knowing that you have done it right so many times that you've forgotten how to do it wrong. Because isn't that the goal? To become confident enough to take control of your life and strong enough to stop anyone else who wants to take it from you. Winning one fight won't make you confident and killing one man won't make you strong. The boy was about to argue out of sheer reflex. Cray was giving him advice, which felt a little like he was trying to push him down a path like all the other saviors before. But... The boy realized there was a difference here. Craven wasn't telling him what to do or what to think. He was trying to give him the tools to think more clearly and do things on his own. The boy nodded, the weight of the other man's words setting in, as the gravity of the whole interaction still had him slightly stunned. Crave turned around towards the skeleton tree, hearing something at a distance. The boy followed his gaze marking the slowly approaching figure of a man on horseback riding towards the camp. Well, we'd best get back to camp before anyone sees what we're doing out here, said the older man. The boy nodded, grabbing his belt and shirt as Craven did the same. As the two men made their way back to camp, walking a bit faster than the slow plod that had taken them to the tree, the boy asked the obvious question that had been nagging at him. Did you know that was going to happen when you did it? the flashbacks and all that? The crusty old warrior burst out laughing. Shit, boy! I just thought putting a bit of fear in you might knock some sense back into your brain. Crave looked down at him with a boyish grin, rubbing a tear from his eye. 
That craziness was all you're doing. The boy's cheeks colored at the joke. He still wasn't sure how to feel about what Craven had done, let alone how he'd lost his mind in response to it. But as the two men continued their brisk walk towards the camp, the boy realized something. That's the first time I've heard the old bag laugh. The boy smiled slightly to himself. It was a nice laugh. Rough, but comfortable, and full of mirth. I think I'd like to hear it again. Although, I hope I don't have to work so hard for it next time. <laughs>